Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. On December 9th, 2007, Matthew Murray shot and killed Tiffany Johnson, who was 26, and Philip Cruz, who was 24, at a Youth with a Mission training center in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Afterwards, he would kill two more at a church in Colorado Springs. Peter Warren, who was the director at the time of this YWAM Mission Training Center, spoke about the shooting. He said that Matthew, who was the shooter, was in the building for about 30 minutes talking with the students. And after about 30 minutes or so, he asked if he could spend the night at the training center. So Tiffany came to the front because she was responsible for hospitality. And normally, they, they wouldn't allow someone to spend the night that they didn't know or that they hadn't had some prearrangement with. So after she communicated that, he said, well, then this is what I have for you. And he began to shoot. He, he at one point had his foot in the front door, kind of wedged in the front door, and he slipped and fell back, and the door slammed shut and automatically locked so he could not get back in. One of the students began CPR on Tiffany. She regained consciousness, and she turned to another trainee named Holly and said, is it bad? Holly said to her, it, it's really bad. And then she turned to Holly, she turned to her boyfriend who had also been shot, and she said, we do this for Jesus, right guys? We do this for Jesus. Boldness, courage. In the face of such danger, where does it come from? In the face of arrests, in the face of threats, these believers in this church in Acts chapter four, pray not for protection, but boldness. Verse 29, and now Lord, look upon their threats, which we don't know exactly what those threats were. Maybe threat of life, maybe threat of imprisonment. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Where does such boldness come from? What empowers you to live boldly for Jesus? 
first, the sovereignty of the Father. Peter and John had been preaching and teaching about the risen Christ. They had been arrested. While they were arrested and in custody, they were told, you will no longer speak in the name of Jesus. They kindly and respectfully said, we're not going to agree to that. We will continue to speak. So then they turned to threatening them and then released them. And when Peter and John were released, they went back to the church, to their fellow believers, and they reported everything that had just happened. The response of these early believers in the face of such danger, in the face of such threats is stunning. Because their first response is prayer, but what they pray is stunning. Verse 24, first words in their prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, This word, sovereign Lord, it's actually one word in the original language of the New Testament. And it's a different word for Lord that's usually used. The common word for Lord that's used in the New Testament is one that has a variety of meanings. It addresses various ranks and relationships in life. But this word they use here is a word that means one with absolute power in control of circumstances. They explain this absolute power later in their prayer, verses 27 to 28. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, look at the leaders that are gathered against Jesus. You have the Gentiles who represent just the irreligious culture of the day. You've got the peoples of Israel. That refers to the religious Jewish authorities. You have Herod, Pontius Pilate, the civic leaders of the day. You have the irreligious You have the religious, you have the civic leaders of the day that are lined up and that were lined up against Jesus and now lined up against his followers in the face of worldly power from every angle, who at the time seemed to have the upper hand and could squash this minority movement seemingly. These early believers proclaimed the absolute sovereignty and power of God the Father. Their response to being arrested and threatened, note, by the same people who had killed Jesus, was not fear and panic, but prayer. And not only that, but what their prayer was for. They didn't pray for protection. Isn't that our first impulse? They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. You say, why? Because their protection wasn't in question. Their boldness was. They had functionally embraced and understood a sovereign father who had their protection taken care of. They knew that. But they knew that they were very susceptible to cowering in fear and to retreating 
from these threats and to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. That they knew, and so their prayer was for boldness. A functional belief in God's sovereignty produces boldness and confidence, not fear and panic. Why? Well, consider the miracle of the shipyard. Every every ocean-going vessel is some construction of steel. That's what they make ships with. If you took any single part of a steel ship, whether it's a something from the hull, a piece of steel from the hull, or a piece of steel from the, the huge rudder, if you were to take that piece of steel and throw it into the ocean, it would sink. It'd sink quickly. Steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilder rivets that last piece of steel onto the hull and, gets, and puts it together, that steel ship becomes virtually unsinkable. Taken in isolation, every tragedy, every act of evil, every season of hardship, every instance of resistance or opposition seems meaningless. And it can produce fear. Thrown into the sea of meaninglessness and emptiness, It can drag you with it. But when you take every act of evil, every season of hardship, every instance of resistance and opposition, and it's taken together under the sovereign, eternal rule of the shipbuilder, underneath God's perfect, sovereign design, then you stay afloat. God's sovereignty is what keeps you afloat and what keeps you from descending into fear and into panic. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor who knew a lot of evil and knew a lot about suffering and a lot about resistance because he stood up against the Nazis. He took a stand against Hitler. And because of the stand he took, he was executed by the Nazis at the age of 39. So he's a man who knew evil. He's a man who also knew God's sovereignty. Listen to what he says. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans, sending us people with claims and petitions. It is a strange fact that Christians, even ministers, frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. What crooked path does God have you on right now that you despise? What crooked path does God have you on right now that has you in a state of panic and fear or anxiety? 
That path may seem crooked to you, but under God's sovereignty, it's straight. God's sovereignty produces boldness and confidence, not fear and panic. What empowers you to live boldly for Jesus? First, the sovereignty of the Father, but second, the victory of the Son. Verses 25 and 26. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a quote from Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is all about human rebellion and God's response to it. What is God's response to human rebellion? Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. There is no panic in heaven over the chaos of our world. Zero panic in heaven over the chaos of our world. God is not threatened by human rebellion. He's not threatened by human rebellion. We may panic over the chaos, and we do, because we're finite and we're broken. But God doesn't panic. There's that great scene in the movie The Lion King where little Simba runs off to the elephant graveyard and he gets caught in the elephant graveyard and trapped and cornered by the hyenas and they're mocking him and they're taunting him and they're about to eat him for dinner. And in his panic and fear, little Simba tries to let out a ferocious roar. But it comes out as a, a tiny little baby cry to which the hyenas laugh. It's a picture of, in our own resources, what it looks like for us to respond to human rebellion and evil on our own. But then, of course, Mufasa, who's Simba's father, has come to rescue him. And, and about that moment, you hear this ferocious roar. And the hyenas tuck their tails, and they run. And the father comes in and rescues his son. Maybe you feel cornered today. Maybe you feel cornered in this season that you're in. And maybe you need to hear the ferocious roar of God the Father. Here's his roar out of Psalm chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. Then he, that's God the Father, will speak to them. That's those in rebellion. That's evil. That's all the rebellion and the chaos that's going on. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The reason God doesn't panic over the chaos of our world, the reason God doesn't panic or why he's not threatened by human rebellion is because he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live, to die, to raise, to ascend, and currently at the right hand of God on the throne, making all things right. That is why God doesn't panic. God's answer to human rebellion is his son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, what is in Jesus' victory? Now, what is the human response to Jesus? Psalm 2, verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There are two responses to Jesus. You can resist him and you can fight against him, which is a losing proposition. Or you can take your refuge in Christ. You can take your refuge in him. When Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the dead, he defeated evil. He defeated your sin. We don't fully experience that yet. There is still sin. There's still rebellion in our world. But Jesus has defeated it. We live in between the first and second coming of Christ, which means evil has been defeated. We just don't fully experience that yet. But the day is coming when we will, when King Jesus returns once and for all, and it's gone once and for all. All the rebellion, all the chaos, all the evil, These believers in Acts chapter four in the face of danger and arrests and threats on their lives understood this victory of Jesus in between his first and second coming. After asking for boldness in their prayer, listen to what they pray in verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name or power, that word name means power or authority, of your holy servant, Jesus. The healing, the wonders that were performed, we see it in the gospels, we see it all over in the the book of Acts. These healings were signs. They were the assurance that Jesus had won the battle. They were the assurance that Jesus was risen, that he was on his throne, that the the outcome wasn't hanging in the balance. You know, for every healing that you see in the Gospels or in Acts, there were hundreds of people that didn't get healed. The healings were just a sign in between first and second coming of Jesus being victorious and on the throne. When his second coming happens, then everyone will be healed. But what we see here in Acts are these healings that are just signs that Jesus is alive and on the throne. These early believers had watched the worldly powers do everything they could to get rid of Jesus, everything they could. And they thought they had when they crucified him, but then he rose from the dead. And so these early believers now are convinced there's nothing that can defeat Jesus. Nothing that can defeat him. He died, he rose from the dead, he ascended. Author Philip Yancey writes about the pride he took in high school about his ability to play chess. He had joined the chess club, he had studied techniques, he had won a bunch of matches, and then after high school, for about 20 years, he had, he had just kind of let go and not played chess for 20 years. And then he says in Chicago, he met this person, he was an elite chess master, and he played him, and he realized how quickly, uh, what it was like to play a chess master. He said, every time I would, I would go on any kind of classic you know, offense, this chess master would have a classic defense to kind of overrule what I had done. He said, even if I turned to more risky moves or, or more unorthodox techniques that, 
the chess master would also would take whatever I had done and just turn it into his next move and his next victory. And he realized uh, that this chess master hadn't put it down for 20 years like Yancey had. But he realized that this chess master's skill and superior skill meant that all of Yancey's purposes and moves at the end, at the end of the day, only served this master's purposes. And so it is with human rebellion. Every move of human rebellion, including your own, only serves God's eternal purposes because those eternal purposes are worked out through the victory of his son, Jesus Christ. Chad Bird says it well. He says, we're not the church of Chicken Little, but the church of Jesus Christ. We do not run around screaming that the sky is falling. There is no panic in heaven. Over the chaos of this world reigns the King of Kings, Jesus the resurrected, before whom every knee will eventually bow whether they like it or not. Every governmental authority now, presidents, kings, prime ministers, you name it, are in lame duck administrations. Their time is ending. Put not your trust in politicians or parties or ballot boxes. Christ and his kingdom are everlasting. And into that kingdom, he calls us all to find forgiveness and life and peace. What empowers you to live boldly for Jesus? It's the sovereignty of the Father. It's the victory of the Son. And finally, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can see in this passage a beautiful picture of how the Trinity works. The power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. The shaking of the building was simply assurance that God had heard their prayers, affirmed their prayers, and had answered their prayers. And do you realize that their prayer contained one request? There was essentially one request in their prayer, and that was verse 29. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They prayed for boldness. Again, they did not pray for protection. They prayed for boldness in the face of danger, in the face of threats. When you pray for boldness in the face of danger, in the face of threats, in the face of resistance, in the face of opposition, that is a prayer that God is happy, happy to answer. Notice that God's answer to their prayer to empower them was to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This is God's answer to their prayer for boldness. When we hear filling of the Holy Spirit, we oftentimes think of some sort of liquid top-off right, or some fill up, like I'm gonna, we're gonna fill a cup up with liquid. That's what we, when we are filling, that's what we think of. That's not at all what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
What is meant here is not a second Pentecost experience. What is meant here is not even empowerment for spiritual growth, although that's not a bad thing. What's meant here by filling of the Holy Spirit is empowerment for speech, boldness in the face of opposition. The Holy Spirit And this is getting at the purpose and the role of the Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to reveal Christ to you. The purpose of the Spirit, the Spirit is the means by which Christ dwells in you, and the purpose of the Spirit is to reveal Christ to you and to make Jesus Christ more real to you than anything that you can actually see or touch. That's the role of the Spirit, is to make Jesus that real to you. And of course, when Jesus is real to you, boldness will follow. If you've ever been to a play or a musical, then you've experienced the role of the Holy Spirit. If you've watched a play or a musical and and, and there's a scene happening and actors and actresses are moving around the stage and speaking and there's props, you know, your eyes are kind of all over the place, right? At any given time, you're looking at that part of the stage, then you kind of turn your eye over there and you're, you're bouncing around to the different actors and actresses and to the, the set. But then oftentimes in a musical, there comes that time where the lights, they don't go dark, but they just, they dim. So you can still see all the actors and actresses on the stage, but the lights dim and then the spotlight will shine on an actress that's about to sing a solo. And you know what it's like in that moment with your eyes having been all over the place and then the spotlight shines and your attention immediately fixes and your focus is on that person who's singing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes your focus and fixes it on Jesus Christ and specifically the victory of Jesus Christ when you and I know there's all kinds of things in the background of our life, resistance, opposition, seasons of hardship, evil, sin, all these things are moving around. And the Holy Spirit fixes your your attention on Christ. The connection between being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking boldly of Christ is this. You will speak most passionately and most consistently of what is most real to you. Or let me say it another way. You will speak most passionately and most consistently of the victory that is the most important to you. Now, we live in a broken world, which means that at every moment of your life, something is broken and needs fixed. Something's not quite right. There's some resistance, there's some opposition, there's interruption, there's that we don't like any of that. That we wanna get past, we wanna get over the hurdle, we wanna remove the hurdle. We want victory over that opposition. We want victory over that resistance. We want victory over the interruption, which means just get it out of the way. We want situational victory. When some situational victory is most important to you, 
you will speak most passionately, consistently about it. Now, here's, the, here's what happens with situational victories. One of two things happens. Uh, you actually experience the victory. The hurdle gets removed, the interruption gets removed, the resistance gets removed, but then you find that pretty quickly another problem arises, and there's another hurdle to get over. Or, a lot of times, this is what happens. You spend years, maybe even decades, longing for and seeking victory in this situation, and you never get it. Either way, you end up discouraged. You end up discouraged. You spend your life chasing victories that are either short-lived or never realized. And when you are chasing situational victories, you become self-absorbed. Your world gets really small, and you start turning inward. And instead of, of speaking and acting boldly for Jesus, you begin to retreat into fear and into anxiety, into preoccupation and self-protection mode. Imagine if these early believers in Acts 4, imagine if safety was the victory that they were chasing after. Right, imagine if the, the situational victory that Peter and John and these early believers were chasing after was, was safety, removal of the arrest, removal of the threats. Can you imagine what would have happened to them? They would have stopped speaking about Jesus. They would have turned inward. They would have gone into a vicious, just self-protection mode and, and preoccupation. When they prayed for God to give them boldness, they were asking for the Holy Spirit to, to move their gaze from whatever situation was stealing their attention to move their gaze to the victory of Jesus Christ. That was their prayer. Asking for boldness, asking for the Spirit to fix their attention on the victory of Jesus Christ. What interruption what resistance, what, what suffering is seeking to steal the spotlight off of Jesus Christ in your life and virtually silence your witness for Christ? What interruption is it for you? What resistance, what hardship? The truth is, that interruption, that resistance, that hardship has been sovereignly ordained by the Father. And the Son, Jesus, has already ultimately defeated it. And that interruption and that resistance or that hardship has been eclipsed by Christ's victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of this so that you can live boldly for Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we confess to you our fear. We confess our anxiety. We confess our focus that has just fixated on a situational victory. We confess that we've lost sight of the victory of Christ. And we ask, Father, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would focus our attention on the victory of Christ. That we would be filled with boldness to stand for Christ no matter what. We think about the, those young adults back in 07 in that YWAM training center. Father, we think about these early believers and Peter and John in the face of threats asking to be filled with boldness and we ask the same today. Would you fill us with boldness? Would you keep our lives from shrinking and turning inward? Would you fix our gaze on Christ's victory and fill us with joy and boldness to speak and act in his name? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.